the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. It's Panhandle Sports Live. Crossover, step back! Where the Eastern Panhandle of West Virginia comes to get their sports live. Is this the Tiger? It is a great night to be a Mountaineer wherever you may be. Agent back to pass, rush down the pocket, throwing it downfield. It's into the end zone. Oh, he caught it! Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner, Luke Wiggs, and Parker Stone. It is Monday the 10th, and you're tuned in to Panhandle Sports Live, brought to you by Mountaineer Kitchens and Bats. Since 1995, Mountaineer Kitchens and Bats has delivered distinguished remodeling services to our home community of Martinsburg. From new construction to remodeling, Mountaineer Kitchens and Bats can design your new kitchen or bath. Their talented designers can bring to life any concept you'd like to create. So check out MountaineerKitchensandBats.com on Facebook, or you can visit their showroom at 967 Hedgesville Road, Martinsburg. I'm Jordan Nice, nice Warner, alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. Good morning, fellas. Good morning. How are you all doing? How was your weekend? It was a bit of a mixed bag oh, yeah. uh, weekend. Uh, rest in peace to the Cardinals. If we have yeah. time to talk about that later, I'm sure we will. But uh, uh, Yadier Molina, Albert Pujols, two surefire Hall of Famers. Thanks for the memories. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Interesting soccer weekend as well. Great football weekend, though. And uh, it's always great that the Raiders didn't have to lose over the weekend. They'll lose tonight, I'm sure, on Monday Night Football. <laughs> and it was a good fantasy football weekend as well. So, you know, mixed emotions, but uh, as goes the life of a sports fan. You mentioned fantasy football. I had uh, Sa- I have Saquon Barkley, Alvin Kamara, and Ramondre Stevenson. Both those guys put up 18 points or I was more. say, Alvin had finally, because Andy Dalton checks yeah. down so much, Jameis Winston wouldn't get him the ball. Yeah, it, it was fun to watch. You know, when everything's going right, I'll tell you the lineup that I had over the weekend. Some of the running backs, Brees Hall, Damian Pierce, Alvin oh, Kamara, man. Jacobs tonight. That, that that was fun to watch after after being bottom feeders of the league for the uh, – in a league that uh, has Metro News High School Game Nights, Dave Jekyll in it, who beat me last week. Um, oh. it, it was nice to get back in the win column. Yeah, Parker got a little taste of what it's like to be a uh, European soccer fan over the weekend, having to wake up bright and early for the Giants oh, yeah. game in London. Yeah, it was a. So I, got, uh, I had a text from Parker at eight thirty in the morning. I was like, uh, "That's not normal." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, well, the Giants played." So that makes <laughs> there sense. you go. Yeah, actually, that uh, that freakout text was because I forgot to submit my payroll on Friday. Mm, so happen. that was that was fun. So that'll happen. We're, we're all sorted. Guess out. She's working for free this week. Well, there you go. But yeah, it's shockingly, Giants moved to four and one. I had no confidence in them at all, and this is coming from a guy who's a Giants fan. So I'm I'm very well, very impressed with the them beating the Packers and. People yeah. are calling them, and I don't mean to be rude, one of the worst 4-1 teams no, of I all agree. time. No, I agree. I'm a Giants and I, fan, and I agree. And they are, but I can also see them still making the playoffs. Which is, if you would have told me that, I would have it's unbelievable. gasped. It's it, between the injuries. We're starting David Sills as wide receiver one right now. And not, I love David Sills, but he's, he's not a wide receiver one in the NFL. He's just not the case. But guys, I wanted to bring up something really quick, because I saw this on Twitter on Sunday, and it it made my jaw drop. So Coalfields and Co. They release their uh, top ten <laughs> rankings every Sunday, and they put out their week seven rankings. They rank. They had the audacity to rank Musselman at seven. Well, wait until you hear this, uh, because I did see you interacting with the kind people at Coalfields. Uh, the Metro News Power Rankings. Uh, we get an early sneak peek. Musselman sixth. 
Wow. Why? Why is everybody so low? What's the hate on the Apple, man? So let me read it to you really quickly, uh, if you don't mind. Martinsburg still number one, even though they lost over the weekend, uh, garnering 16 of the 20 possible first place votes. Then Cabell Midland, Bridgeport, Huntington, Spring Valley, Musselman, Parkersburg, South Hurricane, Wheeling Park, Morgantown back into the top 10. Uh, and Jefferson is on the outside. They're, they're the 11th highest vote getter. So Musselman sixth. I can't explain it. They've lost to one team, and that team is the team that's ranked number one right now. Um, and they've beaten Morgantown, who's a playoff team. They've beaten Hedgesville now, who's trending towards being a playoff team. I, I honestly don't understand. I mean, the Sharando win, I guess, doesn't help them in the eyes of voters across the state that doesn't know how good Sharando is. But then Jefferson here at eleven. So the teams that you've beaten that are ranked according to these power rankings are 10th Morgantown, 11th Jefferson, and number one Martinsburg who beat you, but you had uh, as a one-possession game halfway through the third quarter. So hmm. you're right. The disrespect is real because I mentioned this in the group over the weekend. They're most likely going to be number one when the SSAC playoff rankings come out, at least number two, because they were three last week and both teams above them lost in Spring mm -hmm. Valley and Martinsburg. So there's going to be a disparity between Musselman being number one in that poll and number six in this one. I don't I do not understand. I mean, I know I understand Huntington's got lockout. They got a good quarterback. But Bridgeport lost to Morgantown, who Musselman beat. So how do you rank them higher? I don't know. It, it's confusing. Well, if you got the answers, you can always text us over on our uh, Panhandle Sports Live text line, 304-263-4321, 304-263-4321. On another related note here, I uh, saw this article. Um, so Fort Hill and Allegheny out in Cumberland, Maryland, real big rivalry, especially for football, but through all their sports. And it's homecoming week, and listen to this final score for the soccer game between Allegheny and Fort Hill. Boys soccer. 18 to nothing. Ooh, Ooh that's a tone setter. 18, oh. That is a tone setter. 18 to nothing. Now, Allegheny's ranked apparently first in the state, and listen to this. They've outscored their opponents all nine all nine games so far. 68 to 2. Goodness. 68 to 2. I like what it. What in the world? I mean, that was... that. What is that? Someone oh, I think the speaker's on. Oh. <laughs> like a spaceship was taken off. <laughs> it's like, what is that? Man, well, that's how my brain felt looking at this. Because so, you were talking about the high school stuff, and I was reading this. I was like, oh, my 18 gosh, 18, 18 nothing. Nil. Yeah, that's definitely a tone setter going into Fort Hill. Like, you got to avenge the footy, the footy boys. You know, the football team's got to come to their aid now. Well, especially because that score total just inflated for football is going to be flipped the other way. Well, for it, football. Okay. Yeah, Fort Hill's pretty good in Allegheny. They've been struggling the last couple of years. But you know who hasn't been struggling? That's the Shepherd Rams. And this Saturday, they definitely didn't uh, miss a beat. 72-7. to I will go on record saying I think I did call that they're going to score 70-plus points uh, in this game. And they come out to do it. I never expected to ever call a game or see a football game where there were 72 points, although I guess I saw more in the Lockhaven game last year. Yeah. Uh, think about it, 73, I think is what it was. Uh, but Bajent, uh, 211 yards, three touchdowns, and he left at halftime, and you thought that you know maybe that was going to be the end of it, but we see uh, what is after Tyson Bajent. Christian Edgerson comes in, throws a dime all the way downfield for a touchdown, um, and you can hear all the highlights over on our uh, Twitter page over at EP News Network and 95.9 The Big Dog as well. But here are a few of them as well. Then we'll get into the uh, Panhandle Game of the Week, and we'll hear those. But here is the Shepherd 72-point uh, win over Lockhaven. Going to hand it off to Holly. Holly makes a cut-up field. He lowers his shoulder, trying to get to the goal line, waiting for a call. Touchdown, Rams. Yvonne Holly on the four-yard touchdown run. Muscles it in to extend this already massive lead for the Rams. Gets to the two. He dives to the goal line, and they will say touchdown, Rams. Alfonso Foray adds his second to the game. 
this one just as easy as the first. A seven-yard tip pass from Bajan, and the Rams extend their lead 26 to nothing. It's going to be a handoff. Nope. Bajan keeps it. He dives over a defender. Touchdown, Rams. Tyson Bajan fakes the handoff to Ronnie Brown, calls his own number, and puts his body on the line. He dives from one yard out, and the Rams add six. It's going to be handoff to Hartman. He cuts left. He gets to the goal line, pushes in. Touchdown, Rams. Blake Hartman adds another six on the board as he opens his account in his career at Shepard. Can the Rams add another six? It's going to be a handoff to Brown on first down. He goes right up the middle of the field. He jumps over one defender, gets a block from Kenny Edlin. He's got room to run, and he's going to get to the 30. He stiff arms one, and he's gone. 10, 5. Ronnie Brown walks it in. He wasn't able to find any. Anywhere in the first half of this game, they're right at the end. He goes right up the middle. Then it's six on the board for the Rams. Back to pass. He's looking for Holly. Now he's going to look downfield for Harper. Harper's got a step. He's got it at the 15, the 10, the 5. Edgerton to Harper. Edgerton shoots the arrow and adds another six on the board. You can hear the full highlights over on our uh, ninety or on our sister page, sister station page, ninety five nine, the Big Dog. But seventy two to seven, uh, we expected Shepard to walk through this, and well, I don't know if we expect them to walk this easily. Not just the starters, but the second, third, and even fourth string guys too. Yeah, I mean, it was a non contest until the fourth quarter when you had basically bottom of the barrel guys and mul- multiple freshmen came in and made great plays on both sides of the football. Um, it, it was really fun to watch. You know, some guys get out and get some experience. You mentioned that dime to Etchinson. It was nearly uh, a record-setting day. What did they say the record for points was? 78? 76? 76. 76. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 76. They were nearly off that more than the same when they played Lock Haven at Lock Haven last year. But everybody played well. I think it was an important game for Holly, who had the first highlight there, because he hadn't done anything. He hadn't gotten carries at all the last couple of games. And he looked good. Uh, Hartman looked good. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Ronnie Brown got a little bottled up then because of how much they were throwing the ball in the first half. And then he had his big run uh, to keep the stats alive. And it's a shame uh, for Tyson. You mentioned only 200 yards throwing. A lot of that had to do with takeaways and field position because they were starting drives at the 40. Yep. And that's the only reason why he didn't throw for more yards. Uh, and it was another touchdown for Ryan Beach. So nothing but good things to say about uh you know, there was no weak facet of that team in that game. I thought special teams were excellent. Defense was excellent. The depth was excellent. The offensive line was excellent. And obviously the weapons that they have offensively. Uh, very few complaints after that one, and nobody got hurt. Well, and Ram fans too, uh, Parker, everybody's been nervous about, you know, what's life like after Tyson Bajinks. Of course, he's been the face of this team now for a handful of years. And, uh, well, we got a little sneak peek of that, and you heard there in the highlights, Christian Edgerson comes in and throws uh, the prettiest ball of the day, I think, of any quarterback uh, downfield for a big-time touchdown. Yeah, you can't make it any better for Edgerson in his first, some of his first action in a Rams regular season game. Two for two, 62 yards and a touchdown, a 60-yard bomb to what was his... <laughs> not a bad style line. No, <laughs> not at all. To uh, Daryl Harper, the freshman's first touchdown of his career. So that was a fun little connection there that we could be seeing here for the next few years going into Rams football. Defensively, it was a clinic as well you had farmer getting in a sack and he, that's a guy you're probably gonna see a lot more come mm-hmm. late into the season oh, he, the postseason. Isaiah he farmer best looked, yes isaiah farmer looked absolutely fantastic I think in that he had game. like six straight tackles in one drive yeah he Did was he? setting the edge by himself he had solo t- how many tfls did he have do you have that in front of you it should yes. be a sack and two three TFLs. three tfls, three TFLs. Wow. a sack five total tackles <laughs> yeah he was very impressive very impressive showing from farmer harry jennings came out of the game with two sacks kyle smith had a sack as well and the pressure's just there. They're bringing a lot of pressure, a lot of a lot of greatness coming out of that front seven right now. And the secondary held themselves as well, namely coming from that big 79-yard return from Dante Harrison to score on that pick six early in the first quarter. So they're doing it in all three facets, which is 
insane. They're they're clicking on all cylinders, and if I'm anybody in Division Two, I am scared to play Shepard right now. Yeah, I think that's three straight games that the secondary got a pick six for the Rams, which is uh, pretty good because that was really, other than the running backs during preseason, that was where all the questions I thought were uh, for the Shepard team was the secondary, and goodness, they've ended up being uh, one of the stands out standouts. Uh, for the season this year, but they move on uh, to six and zero, and then they move into Millersville for homecoming coming up this weekend. You can of course uh, tune in over on ninety five nine, the Big Dog. We have the Arnie McCook Show coming up on Thursday uh, to preview that because uh, I'm sure there's not going to be a ton to talk about for the Lockhaven game other than uh, how well they uh, played because that was that was a fun one. Yeah, seventy two points was uh, that's that's definitely something. Definitely something. Was not ready for that. But you know what uh, also was something I wasn't quite expecting was that Panhandle Game of the Week final score. Yeah, it ended up being a little bit more lopsided um, than it probably should have been. And it was a 14-13 to 13 game at one point, Musselman over Hedgesville. Um, and Hedgesville doing well, down several guys, key members of their offense, and especially on their offensive line, uh, were hanging in with Musselman, and then they just kind of ran out of gas. And it was 48 unanswered points scored uh, by the Appleman in that game. Baden Hartman throws for three touchdowns, rushes for three touchdowns. They win 62-13. Uh, to 13. It's a rivalry game, and I know that a lot of that had to do with it. Uh, but Hedgesville, again, and their bye weeks this week, which couldn't have come at a better time because – your top two wide receivers are out, starting running backs out, two starting offensive linemen are out, and most of those guys played on the defensive side of the ball. But on the other side of things, what else can you say about Musselman other than they're one of the best teams, like we just said, probably should be number one in the state uh, when the playoff rankings come out. And they took care of business against the playoff team. I mean, that's the thing as you look at that lopsided score line and it's oh you know Hedgesville hasn't been very good in a while and maybe blah 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 they're going to be a playoff team mm-hmm. and Musselman just beat them by 40 points you know and I, to be fair to Hedgesville if they rematched at full strength I think the score line would be much closer but still not to take away from the fact that Musselman dominated that game and they're one of the best teams in the state going into the back half of the season. Don't forget you can always text us 304-263-4321 304-263-4321 what you think of that Shepard game what you think of that Musselman Hedgesville game that rivalry game that well like you said ended up pretty ended up being pretty lopsided if you head over to our Twitter page at EP News Network you can check the whole highlights uh, up there but here are a bit of them Hartman again will keep it himself this time he'll run out to the right Hartman getting downfield extends the ball towards the plane of the goal and another touchdown for the Appleman Go downfield, Hartman lets it go as a man wide open into the end zone. It's Logan Shelton. Touchdown for Musselman. A 29-yard strike. Three receivers to the right, single receiver to the left is Adamas. Snap back to Hartman. He's looking Adamas' way on the stutter step and go. He throws it downfield. Adamas makes the catch at the 40-yard line across the 30. No one in front of him. Kiss him goodbye. Ray Adamas, 75 yards on that strike. Bobbled it for a second procured it in those white gloves and took it to the end zone for the touchdown for Hartman to take the snap he'll run speed option he'll pitch it out to Adamas across the 30 gets a block downfield to the 40 Adamas stiff arms the man across the 50 40 30 so long see you later Ray Adamas gets a block downfield and he does the rest himself to take that one the distance into the end zone for a 72-yard touchdown run. Hartman again will look to throw. He's got time as he throws it over the middle of the field. He's looking for Shelton, and Shelton makes the catch at the 50. Can he stay on his feet? He does. There goes Shelton. Off to the races, and another touchdown from Musselman. They'll pitch it to Shelton on the end around on second and 11, and then Shelton's able to get the edge. Shelton breaks free across the 40, across the 50. They're not going to be able to get the angle on him, and there goes Shelton to the end zone, and another touchdown for the Appleman. Zach Miller will take the snap, running up the middle as he steps around the defender and into the end zone, and a touchdown for Zach Miller, the freshman quarterback.
Man, there was some speed out on that field Friday. Goodness, you had Ray Adamas, you had Shelton that turned on the afterburners out of nowhere. Uh, it was it was a good game. But I think the standout for me was Troy Woolston for the Athman. Uh, if you can, again, head over to our Twitter page, at EP News Network, there's a super cut. Cause he had enough He had enough plays himself for a whole highlight package. And, um, yeah, he's a stud out there. Oh, he certainly is. Him and James Carmichael, I, I think we need to sing their praises more as time goes on. Carmichael only plays defensive tackle, uh, and Woolston plays a little tight end as well. Made some great plays in the receiving game this year as well but I mean there were times he was getting through albeit a banged up Hedgesville offensive line but still a very talented Hedgesville offensive line like he wasn't being blocked at all he was bull rushing people he had the finesse moves as well chasing around quarterbacks in the backfield batting down passes he had a key pass bat down on fourth down to turn the ball over on downs to go along with the sacks that he accumulated in that game as well uh, and you mentioned the speed, and they were doing that all on grass. Yeah. Can you imagine if that was a turf field? I mean, talk about track speed. Mm-hmm. Um, but Musselman's got guys all over the field that can make plays, and that's the sign of a good AAA team. You know, single A, double A, you can get away with, well, we've got our our wide receiver, our quarterback, and running back, and then we just cross our fingers and pray. You know, Musselman's got so many different ways they can beat you, not just offensively, but with the playmakers on the defensive side of the ball, specifically Carmichael and Williston and that defensive line. Money Penny's a really good linebacker for them who only has to play one way. Uh, Skaggs plays some safety for them. The homecoming king, by the way. Congratulations. That's right. That's right. Um, and uh, and the, the guys that play both ways, like Adamus and Hartman. So, I mean, they're well-equipped to make a deep postseason run this year. Um because, again, without some of their key weapons still, they just beat a Hedgesville team that will make the playoffs by 40 points. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 spectacular. And if things go their way, Musselman could really come out of this season with maybe just two losses. They could be 9-1. One, and one. Yeah, realistically, they could be. They got Wheeling Park, of course, this week. It's a game we're looking at right now to possibly be our game of the week. We're looking into some other things right now. But that's a game that will be really exciting. A lot of great athletes in that one. You think they handle business against Washington next week, and then you got Bridgeport at home, which will be another big contest to look into, and then you've got Parkersburg on the last game of the season. So, like you were saying, worst worst case, what two losses maybe? Yeah, and if they run the table and they finish nine and one, that's one of the best non Martinsburg single regular season performances that we've ever seen in the state I mean I know Spring Valley's had some years where they've beaten some good Charleston teams and they've beaten Huntington whatever but in terms of who they've played and they've gone out and pursued these people it's it's not just their conference game which is obviously their conference games are tough too but they sought out Bridgeport they sought out Morgantown they sought out Wheeling Park and they sought out Sharando and Parkersburg I know they're not very good this year but that program's got so much history and they're so well coached that they have run the gauntlet and if they're able to get into the postseason healthy which they're healthy right now they're more battle tested than any team and they're not a team that you want to play we gotta get to our first break stick around we come back we'll talk a little basketball because shepherd women's and men's basketball is out there on the recruiting trail getting uh people signed up for well basketball this year and it's interesting to see who's coming in for the women's team too because they're pretty much going to be completely new top to bottom staff and players so we'll talk about that then we'll start getting into uh college sports because it was a big time saturday over the weekend stick around for more on panhandle sports live on wpm and wcst the panhandle news network Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, part of the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, brought to you by Mountaineer Kitchens and Baths. You can check them out at mountaineerkitchensandbath.com on Facebook, or you can visit their showroom at 967 Hedgesville Road in Martinsburg. I'm Jordan Ice Warner alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. And before we get into the college football weekend that was, let's chat about basketball a little bit. Yeah. Apparently, apparently Shepard's got uh, some signees. 
Yes, they do. Um, it was a busy couple of days over the weekend for the boys' team, or the men's team, I should say, in terms of who they offered. Uh, but we get a, a concrete commit from Kara Wenner um, to the women's basketball team that we talked about rebuilding. Um, some Xavier Vars basketball uh, commit. She's a guard. I uh, haven't gotten to watch much of her tape yet, but it looks like she's a shot creator, uh, which is important because you look at Julie Kaufman's roster right now, uh, and like you said, it, they have to replenish a lot of what they lost last year, namely Beeman, some of the upperclassmen on that team as well, some transfers out of the program. Uh, the players that are coming in, uh, like Riley Balliard coming in from Meredith College, and a couple of Millers, Naresha and uh, Teresha, I think is how you say it, uh, who both come in from Alderson Broadus. They're defensive-minded players who don't score. Uh, so somebody on this team is going to have to hit shots. And I understand she's not a commit for this season uh, and Kara Wenner's for years to come, uh, but you need shot getters um, from a team that was so capable offensively. And then on the men's side of things, uh, there were four different players offered over the last couple of days, uh, two of which with local connections. Brody Davis, I've got to call a bunch of his games at Morgantown High. Uh, he plays the five for them just because they're an undersized team, but he's one of the best shooters in the state. Uh, and Corey Harper, over from Elkins, is also one of the top scorers in the state. Six foot four, plays on the wing, a little bit on the slow side athletically, but he, again, is somebody that can score. And then they offered two other players. And uh, this one, I'm just going to fumble my way through. His first name is Margad, and his last name is Choi uh, Jill Surin. Um, sure. And he's from Fairfax, Virginia. He's a six foot five guard, which is important if you're six foot five and you don't get stuck in the low post in high school and you can actually develop guard skills. Uh, great shot creator, uh, can finish through contact as well. I was watching some of his tape before we came on the air today. Uh, and Gavin O'Malley is the fourth player that they offered. Uh, a six foot five player on the wing from Tuscarora uh, is somebody else that can score from all three levels of the defense. He's long, he's lengthy, he's probably the most athletic. Of the four that I mentioned, save, of course, uh, Mr. Margad. Uh, so Shepard, um, on the, the women's side of things, trying to replenish the ranks, it looks like they might have found themselves a score. And none of those are uh, official commits on the boy, or the men's side of things. They're just offers. Uh, but if they get two out of those four, uh, then they're certainly going to bolster their ranks, especially offensively. And Parker, I'm excited for this men's team, especially if they all come back healthy and stay healthy. Because, I mean, uh, Dan McLean Corley last year was averaging, I think, the first three games, like 20-plus points per game. Then he goes down with a lower body injury, and then he's out for the season. And that took a lot of the uh, you know scoring threat out. But that made a couple other guys step up. Of course, Kyle Daggett uh, did what he did. Philip Jordan, I think, is a great point guard. It'll be fun to see him moving on. John Preston as well. And then, of course, you throw in Poffenberger and then Aiden Hughes. Julie, I think, is really going to be what the driving force that kind of fills the shoes, if you will, uh, of Kyle Daggett. No, absolutely. And looking at both these basketball programs for Shepard right now, they're in two totally different places, I think. The women are coming off the highest of highs from this season, but they've had so much departure, namely their head coach, Jenna Eckleberry. She's now coaching over at Frostburg State. Abby Beeman transfers up to the FBS level. She's going to be with the herd this season. You got graduates going out. You got Marley McLaughlin gone. You got Cindy Clayton gone. You have transfer outs like Mackenzie Free. She heads out to Frostburg. Jordan, goodness gracious, why am I? Anyway, Jordan goes out to Cal. And then the men's side, you look at it now, they're coming back full force. They have so many guys. The only guys that left really are Kyle Daggett and Stevens, right? Cam and Cam Stevens. Stevens. Those two guys. You got a loaded roster coming in. Philip Jordan, who really stepped up. And that's the big thing. I think that was a big confidence booster towards the end of the season for Shepard. They had so many people stepped up because it felt like the first few games they really relied on Dan to put those shots up. But mm -hmm. you had Philip Jordan step up. John Preston stepped up. 
You had Poffenberger and Hewley getting really significant minutes as underclassmen. Ariel got it and showed some flashes there in the season. Gerard Robinson as well. They're loaded and they're deep. And I think there's a really good chance for them to be a top three team in the PSAC East come basketball season. And one more name to keep an eye on. Colton Hartman's a freshman, six foot eleven, played at St. Maria Garetti. Uh talked to somebody recently, saw him play in high school at average fourteen points per game. They really like him a lot as a true big man, uh, which I don't I don't know who off the top of my head. I wasn't here last year. The starting sh- center was for Shepard, but dig it. it was yeah, that good. It. Six foot eleven at the Division two level is special uh, because a lot of these guys play underside six foot five, six foot seven, whatever. Uh, so I'm excited to see Hartman and if he can impact right away as a freshman because I've heard great things about him. We'll stick around after the break. We'll chat about uh, college football, uh, D1 college football, because, of course, it was Farmageddon where the K-State Cats take a 10-9 win. Boys, my first Jeez. Farmageddon as a uh, lifelong fan. Telling you, it was a good one. Stick around. We'll talk about that and more after the break on Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Sports Live with Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Tweet the guys at EP News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, brought to you by Mountaineer Kitchens and Bath. You can visit them at mountaineerkitchensandbath.com on Facebook, or you can go to their showroom at 967 Hedgesville Road in Martinsburg. You can tweet us at EP News Network, or you can always text us 304-263-4321, 304-263-4321. The Mountaineers were off this week. They played Thursday, so a short game week uh, for Mountaineer fans, but it uh, was, at Parker, nonetheless, an exciting football Saturday in college. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Farmageddon, your Wildcats come out of that one 10-9, but I am not very happy with Kansas State because they did not cover the one-and-a-half point Never spread. Never bet rivalry. Just, going for, the, just going for the win, man. Yeah. It was a boring got, game in the uh, at least the second half. All the points were in the first half, but it was my, fun. My mindset was like, okay, it's a one-and-a-half point spread. There's no way they win by just one, right? Well, look and behold, me playing get maybe it, honestly, I probably risked about another three or four dollars and lost completely out. <laughs> So now hedged it, dude. I I felt stupid. I felt stupid on that one, but you know it happens to the best of us. Alabama almost got upset over the weekend, guys. Texas A and M with a mm-hmm. horrible play call, a horrible horrible play call. I know on a play call that didn't even get into the end yeah, zone. Yeah, exactly. no. If he, even if he would have caught it, <laughs> and a low percentage play. Yeah. Which I mean, granted, oh, Jimbo. I was about, yeah, I was about to say, doesn't that heat the seat up a little bit more on Jimbo for that one? Like, what a decline! What a decline from the coaching graces Jimbo's taken in like three weeks. Like he's, they were, they've been talking about like, oh, he has the same record as Kevin Sumlin to the same amount of games. Yeah, he. I mean, you can ask the question, what has he done? Nothing. Not much. Nothing really. R- recruit, but I mean, at this point, what's he done to Florida State? Not much. Nothing. Well, was he <laughs> great getting- recruiting classes? Yeah. But you know who else has great recruiting classes and doesn't win? Neil Brown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there does you that know. open the door for Jimbo uh, to step in up in Morgantown? I don't think that you. Could. Or does the door start I mean, to be? So- is the door being built? Maybe. I mean, I'm sure Mountaineer fans would want that, but why would we want to go from one unsuccessful head coach to another unsuccessful? Because <laughs> he's a West Virginian. Coach. He's a West right, Virginian. Right, right. Come on, man. Well, it might well so's be- Lou Holtz. I don't think we want to bring, <laughs> bring Lou, Holtz Lou back, dude. <laughs> the West Virginia Mountaineers. <laughs> I mean, you could even say it's three straight because I mean, Dana Holgerson's a little bit on the hot seat of Houston too. He's- you know what's funny is you look at coaches' hot seats rankings that that website I talk about that ranks the most fireable coaches, and usually. Uh, Holgerson, Neil Brown, and Jake Spavadol, who was the offensive coordinator here for a while, are back-to-back. I don't know how Jake Spavadol hasn't been fired. But, yeah, Dana's Dana's in a bad place right now in Houston as well, which is a shame because he had his job on a silver platter where there's no pressure to do anything other than win nine games every year at Houston, yeah. which it would be easy to do, and he can't even do that. 
and Mountaineer fans want him back. And you no. got to think about this too. He's moving up to the Big Twelve next year. Oh, he's going to get. And in, Houston's going to be a doormat in the Big 12. I don't think he'll get fired just because they want a Power 5 head coach to coach in the Power 5 for that first year so things yeah. don't get crazy. Because the last thing you want to do is get into the Big 12 and go 0-12. Oh, yeah. You know, like you want him to be in there because you know he'll win you a couple of games. But, you know. Did you guys see um, all the news about the Jackson State-Alabama State game? With I did. Deion Sanders and that coach afterwards? He's swack. Yeah, it was a little, little scrappy there towards the end. Crazy. Well, it was a good game. I ended up watching the replay of it. 26-12 was the final. Um, but... It, of course, as you know, it does because Deion Sanders is involved. It's all about Deion, right? Yes, they're there for the football game. And Deion's son at quarterback is really good, too. Um, apparently, he's in the Heisman conversation. Yes. It's all that, too, which is uh, pretty neat, especially for an HBCU school. Um, but, you know, I didn't see the whole pregame. All I saw was the handshake. And, you, you know, it seemed like a little bit of an overreaction from the Alabama State coach. But then when you watch the pregame, you see Deion, you see Prime, Come out of the tunnel, right, doing his thing. Then he takes the longest route possible over to his sideline, which, by the way, he came out of the tunnel on his sideline and then walks through the Alabama State team, through their sideline, and then across the 50 and over uh, to a lot of colorful language. That's for sure. It's him going through. So my question is, like, of course, Dion. Deion Sanders brings a lot of different things. He brings a lot of great things because he's brought all this spotlight to HBCU schools, brought all this spotlight to Jackson State. I mean, they're bringing all these big recruits into these schools that haven't been thought about going to these schools in years and years. But then he also brings the primetime things on his side. I mean, he's got his Twitter handle on the back of his shirt while he's on the sidelines. So what are your thoughts on Prime's coaching style and coaching's career so far i think the question becomes i think he's a fantastic coach i, I think, think he's so a too. good recruiter yeah. i think that their offensive and defensive game plan from what i've seen mm -hmm. i haven't been able to watch all like you said i've just watched oh, undefeated. and um and he's bringing great awareness to that conference like you mentioned what becomes of it is you know, what happens if he wants to move on and take and a power five job and he, he can will. i, I mean, think in two mm -hmm. years but I, th I mean does he want to stay there and continue to elevate the brand which is why he took that job in the first place just he wanted to keep up you know, there was a, a brief moment where West Virginia fans were convinced that he was going to come to WVU, which was foolish. But, you know, that's the kind of move that he could make. Um, I, I think that you kind of take a little bit of the personality and the character that comes with him with a grain of salt based on what he's doing for that conference right. and what he's doing to raise awareness of the HBCUs, like you said. And to be completely honest with you, I think he's handled himself incredibly professionally. OK, he didn't shake the other. Go. OK. And mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's not like he's Antonio Brown. You know, and then that coach doubled down by acting like an idiot. He right. would shake my hand, and he's not swack. I'm swack. And then Diego, who, then who is if I'm not Diaz? <laughs> I love that. I love it. So I, I think that you know it's it's just trivial, but it drums up attention when those two teams play next year. If Dion's still coaching, people are going to watch that game. Yep. People are going to continue to watch Dion's team the rest of the year. You know, I mean, it it, it all just ends up no. There's no such thing as bad publicity. Mm -hmm. I think it's not, not a big deal. Well, it was on national TV, and there was 28,000 people at the game. Yeah. And that's when does that happen? Fact. Right. You know? And as, I mean, and as it should, as spreading a uh, or shedding a spotlight on uh, that conference. Yeah, absolutely. And with Dion too, he's he's a personality. He's he's out there. He's he's his brand. He has a brand. He's it's Dion Sanders. And people will come to that game just to see Dion Sanders coach. It's he's the greatest corner of all time. And I'm very interested to see if he's ever going to make that leap to the Power Five and do that because it seems like he's just having fun coaching at Jackson State. It seems like it's just something that's like, you know what, let's just coach an HBCU school and have fun with that. But uh, like I was thinking he might jump to his alma mater, Florida State, at some point, but they're having a great year. It looks like they're going to keep things under control over there. 
But I'm interested to see if Dion's ever going to jump to the Power Five. It could be an interesting story. Well, with how big the Dion brand is, the Prime brand is, do you think he could coach at a Power Five? Because that brand, you know, the team brand is significantly bigger once you get from Jackson State to, say, a Florida State or a West Virginia Clemson, wherever he ends up going if he does end up going. Do you, I, I mean, somebody's got to take a back seat, and it's not going to be the school. Yeah, I mean, he's got he's to have a good quality control staff and good coordinators around him, which he does right now. Uh, but you're right. I mean, you need to know that when you're hiring him, that's why he would never end up at a at a Clemson or an Alabama. Right. I don't think or Ohio State. I don't think they would put themselves in a position to do that. But as he's proven, he can be a program builder. Mm-hmm. You know, I joke about West Virginia, but using West Virginia as an example, it'd be a perfect fit. Yeah. All of a sudden, you get all this attention. You you have a coach with that kind of a pedigree that can get those kind of recruits in the door as long as he gets the right people around him. You know, you think about some of the middling programs in college football right now that would in desperate need of you know, a shot of adrenaline from a great brand and a great head coach, there are none better than him as long as he puts the right people around him, you know, the right play callers, the right DCs and OCs. It'd make a ton of sense, to me at least. Damn, looking at the stats from his son, the quarterback Shadir, 6'2", 215, sophomore, good size. I didn't realize that he was actually in the uh, Heisman Trophy conversations uh, for this year, but what? He's averaging, or he's around 1,700 yards so far this season, 17 touchdowns already. I mean, goodness. He's pretty okay. good. Putting up numbers. That's a yeah, shout out. I wonder, who do you think the last HBCU Heisman was? Has there been? Not to go I, to the research team I'd for that say one. probably the closest person that's ever come to it might have been Steve McNair when he was at Gary Rice State. went to an HBCU too, right? But, but he didn't win a trophy. Yeah, but. Mississippi Valley State. Yeah. He didn't win anything like that, though. He might have won the Bolitnikoff that year, maybe. But I, I don't think there's ever been an HBCU player to ever win the Heisman. I think McNair might have been like top three in his year because he was drafted I think top five in the draft that next year but the only thing it's tough for Shadir is that it's a pretty heavy quarterback class right now oh yeah absolutely I was getting ready to bring that up uh Tennessee's legit they're they're solid and they, they look good they blew the brakes out of LSU this weekend and granted the Tigers are not great this year they're middle of the road in the SEC but for the first time it feels like an almost it's been probably over a decade Tennessee football feels like a legit brand and they're here and honestly I'm a little worried for Alabama this week. Tennessee's rolling. They look fantastic right now. And I believe there's a uh, – Tennessee will be playing Georgia, right? Is that correct? Mm-hmm. They'll be playing – oh, my goodness. We'll talk about a matchup there. If Tennessee can find a way to beat Alabama, and then they got to play Georgia for the SEC East to play in the SEC championship game. Oh, goodness. Goodness, goodness, goodness. And can – yeah, I'm sorry for any Virginia Tech fan out there that you squandered Hendon Hooker and he and he's got to hurt. That's got to hurt watching and he's that. He's got and he's got a very good shot to win the Heisman Trophy this year. I I can't imagine that. That's that you want to talk about the one of the biggest flops of the past decade, the Justin Fuente era at Virginia Tech. That's that that's rough. But right now, yeah, I think right it's a two-man race between Hendon Hooker and CJ Stroud right now. He looks Stroud looks fantastic and Marvin Harrison Jr., guys. Oh my goodness. He might he might be like better than Jackson Smith Ajimba over at Ohio State. He's he's amazing. I'm excited for when Marvin Harrison Jr. enters the NFL in a few years. I'm uh, reading an article now trying to look it up. It does not appear in HBCU players uh-uh. ever won a Heisman. This is a really weird comparison this guy's trying to make, and it's about Hooker being the top Heisman candidate. Uh, saying that there was an HBCU quarterback named Allen Hooker who played at NCA at North Carolina A&T a while back that had a little bit of Heisman buzz for a while, so he's trying to compare the two. And then, apparently, uh, his top wide receiver for Tennessee this year, um, his dad, I forget his name, I just uh, scrolled over it, 
Uh, Cedric Tillman's dad played at an HBCU. He's hmm. top wide receiver for Tennessee this year. So they're talking about how there's an HBCU connection to the Heisman seemingly every year, but it does not appear that one's ever won a Heisman. So yeah, he'd be the first one, San- or uh, Shadir Sanders, be the first one to win it from HBCU. But uh, the last, the only one to get an invitation to New York was Steve McNair, played at uh, Alcorn State back in '94. Hmm. So yeah, that'd be pretty cool. I don't think he gets it just because of how overloaded really the D one, the big you know Power Five quarterbacks are this year. Uh, but that's cool, and that's the that's the primetime effect. Nobody knows about it unless primetime's there. You know, everybody overlooks it. But <laughs> stick around. When we come back. We'll get Parker's picks, and we'll talk about that Monday night game from last night, where or uh, Sunday night game rather uh, from last night, where the Ravens uh, a nice, easy, comfortable win uh, on late night. So stick around. We'll be back with more Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Panhandle Sports Live, your home for sports in the Panhandle. Here's Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, brought to you by Mountaineer Kitchens and Bath. You can visit them at mountaineerkitchensandbath.com. On Facebook, you can go to their showroom at 967 Hedgesville Road in Martinsburg. I'm Jordan Icewinner, alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. And it's that time of day. It's time for Parker's Picks. Yeah, well, that's called beginner's luck. Luck, 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 luck. Yeah, I like to call this my lock of the day. Prove it, it's never fails. Never failed once. Guys, this is one of the best rivalries in all the NFL that doesn't get talked about a lot that we got Monday night. It's Chiefs, it's Raiders. You want to talk about gritty AFL rivalries from the past? This is it right here. You think of Len Dawson, Willie Lanier, Derek Thomas, Jamal Charles, Larry Johnson. Then on the Raiders side, guys like Cliff Branch, Ted Hendricks. All the way back to Kenny Stabler. This this is one of my favorite rivalries in the NFL. It's two throwback teams from a way, way back. And coming forward, today's lock of the day, Luke, I want to apologize off the start. I got the Chiefs winning as my lock of the day for the day. I just, winning, yes. What's the line? The line is uh, seven and a half. I would take a comfortable right cover there, but yeah. I'm winning, sure. Yeah, I. So I I'll think, grant you that. I think I think it's going to be closer. I think I think the Raiders have a decent shot to make it less than a touchdown game, but I think the Chiefs do win right now. They looked fantastic against against the Bucks last week. They dismantled them. Mahomes is looking like an MVP candidate again. The Chiefs are looking good, and sadly, I do think Devontae Adams is going to go under for his receiving yards tonight. The line is, I believe. 79 and a half. So Devontae Adams has to get 80 receiving yards. I, I I don't think he gets it. He's been struggling right now. Unless this is a breakout game for him, he's probably going to have Legereus Sneed on him. And Sneed's one of the most underrated corners in the league. I I feel like they're going to shade Devontae Adams pretty well. And that's going to force Derek Carr to use Hunter Renfro, who's going to be coming back into the lineup, and maybe Darren Waller some more in this game. And But a positive for the Raiders here. I got Josh Jacobs to score a touchdown anytime in this game. I think they'll get Jacobs the ball here at the goal line. He'll get the carries in. I think Jacobs will score anytime. Most underrated running back in the NFL. He doesn't get much love and I don't know why he was fantastic at Alabama, but again, lock of the day. If you missed it earlier, is going to be the chiefs to beat the Raiders tonight on Monday night football. Well, I'm glad I didn't share my picks for uh, Sunday night football because they did not hit thanks to somewhat (laughs) of a snooze fest in the, uh, the late game between the Ravens and the Bengals, which was uh, shaping up to be kind of a track meet, but ended up uh, being kind of a standard uh, Sunday night football game. The Ravens end up winning, though, 19-17, to all thanks to Justin Tucker. Nick Moore has the snap. Jordan Stout will have the hold. Snap is good. Hold is down. Kick on the way. It is up. It is good. Time has expired, and the haze of the barn. Tell him, Jerry. What a night for the Ravens. 
They come back to beat the Bengals. Love it. Love it. Love it. And you know how nice it is to be a fan of a team that has a, a kicker that is automatic 99.99% of the time to where it's a pressure situation. I'm sure everybody in the stadium was nervous. I'm sure other people were watching, but I was like, nah, we got it. I didn't want to even watch it when he kicked it, and it was good. So the Ravens end up winning. Thanks to Justin Tucker's 43-yard field goal as time expired 19-17. to Yeah, and he's obviously the greatest kicker in NFL history, in my opinion. Uh, this game came down to T. Higgins got hurt. And the Bengals can't protect Joe Burrow. Yep. You know, they're gonna have to go out and get somebody if they want to make a playoff push this year because he doesn't have time to throw. Doesn't open up better lanes for Mixon, who I thought was running well last mm-hmm. night at times, but struggled to get into the open field. Um, and the Ravens just did what they needed to do to win. You know, these are the kind of nasty games that turn into wins that you're happy you have at the end of the season. You weren't able to put up crazy numbers. I know Andrew's got that touch. He did, yeah, he had the touchdown mm-hmm. in that game. Um, but you won. You know, uh, the Ravens, I think, are uh, another wide receiver away. If it's somebody stepping up or out, going out and getting somebody, because I love where they're at at the defensive side of the ball, and the Bengals are two offensive linemen away uh, from being really good. You know, that division's up for grabs. You know, the Browns are, are dangling by a hair right now as they're waiting for Deshaun to come back and get eligible, and the Steelers think, although I thought Kenny Pickett played relatively well. Uh, so there's an opportunity for both of those two teams, and whoever goes out and addresses their needs quicker whether it be the Bengals or the Ravens, is going to win that division. Yeah, and that was even without Rashad Bateman last night, too, at wide receiver. Very good win for the Ravens. They're tough. They brought a lot of pressure at Burrow. And for the Bengals, I you go out and you revamp your offensive line to try and protect Burrow, and it looks about the same. It's a little concerning. It's worse. It, it could, it, you could argue it's worse. Lyle Collins was brought in as a big free agent signing. The Cowboys shockingly cut him. And you bring him in, and he can't pass protect worth a hoot. I don't know what's going on with Lyle Collins. Jonah Williams, he's been hurt for 70% of his career. He doesn't seem like he's the answer at left tackle. Your line looks very suspect, and it's a little worrisome because, I mean, Joe Burrow, he's he's a generational quarterback if you can keep him upright. I just, for selfish purposes, I don't want to see what happened to Andrew Luck happen to Joe Burrow, and the Bengals really need to go out and figure this thing out if they want to get back to the Super Bowl and win a championship. And I know we're running out of time. Quick shout-out to the 3-2 and two Chets, and a quick shout-out to Geno Smith through two unbelievable dots to Tyler Lockett in that game, and they still lost because his defense is terrible. But Geno... Uh, Gino's uh, MVP odds right now. He's uh, a he's number he's number four right now on odds for comeback player of the year. He oh, he should be number one. And so well, Saquon's number one, right? I think it's Saquon, Saquon, <laughs> McCaffrey, Derrick Henry. I think Gino's number four, but I do think Gino needs to be in that top two at this point because he's been he's been rolling, guys. It's I, I'm very happy to see Gino do so good. And while we're uh, while we're closing out here, we'll do a little recap on the baseball from the weekend. Mariners move on. They come back from, like, what, seven runs down? It's back-to-back games. If you think about it for Alec Manoa, when he pitched at WVU, he started a game, lost 4 nothing, and then the day, the game after that, uh, his team blows a huge lead. He loses to Duke, and then Texas A&M hit that walk-off grand slam against West Virginia in the regional back in 2019. Crazy how history repeats itself. And then you got Guardians, who swept the Rays. The Guardians look good. I'm very excited to see how far they go. The Phillies, sadly, swept out the Cardinals. And then the Padres ended up beating the Mets last night in Game 3, and we uh, might need to change the uh, narco of Timmy Trumpets to taps for oh, Mets fans. Yeah, and we need to see what was going on with Joe Musgrove's ear. Yeah, Drew, no, what was, do you think he was doing? He he, he he was shy, his ear was shiny. His spin rate was up, and then when they came out to look at him, he wiped it off his ear. Apparently, uh, I saw Andrew McCutcheon tweet about it. Apparently, he thinks it was red hot was what it mm. might have been. But I thought it was Vaseline, but we'll have to wait and see. Something. I, that's That's super weird, but... 
to end off with this, guys, best story of the weekend, Brian Robinson, of course, he was shot and he's missed some of the season. He got to play in his first game yesterday. And uh, funny enough, he comes out to oh. many men from 50 Cent. Oh, a, uh, that was beautiful. That was, that was pretty cold. good. A, that was cold. a beautiful – the video is on Twitter. You can go out and find it. It's – it's awesome. It was cool. It's sweet. That's that was the best story of the weekend, I think. Same. What a uh, fan experience grab at City Field too, bringing Edwin Diaz out in the eighth down four, just to pull trumpets out <laughs> for the fans and this is for the fans in attendance. Thought that was hilarious. The Mets are the first hundred win team to not get to the divisional round in MLB history. Crazy. It's wild. Poverty. Poverty. What, a what a weekend of sports. That's for sure, locally and nationally. But if you missed any of the show today, you can listen back to it a little bit later on over on our Panhandle News Network uh, Facebook page, Spotify page. You can also find it over on uh, Twitter as well but for parker for luke i'm jordan this has been panhandle sports live on wpm and wcst the panhandle news network we'll talk to you tomorrow panhandle live is next wepm martinsburg and wcst berkeley springs a wvrc media station we're proud to live here too